Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as we are doing our normal recording time for Nuggets Numbers. Been having a good time podcasting about the offseason. Been doing a lot of fun stuff for the site. Uh, Make sure to check out Denver Stiffs for this uh, latest episode of The Climb. Uh, Not episode, latest installment of The Climb. Uh, talked about Monte Morris. Going to talk about him more here in this first segment like I normally do. Uh, that's going to be the first segment of this podcast. And then in the second and third segment, we're going to talk about trade value because there have been a lot of rumors going about and a lot of pontification about what the Nuggets could do on the trade market. And I tend to think that it's not as much as people think. Uh, there's only one guy that I think they really have their sights set on. And maybe there's another that kind of comes out of the woodwork that nobody's really expecting, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about Monte Morris. Uh, I mentioned him and wrote exclusively about him on The Climb on Monday for Denver Stiffs. And I thought it was really interesting when, when going through some of the interesting things about this Nuggets team and how they became who they were that Monte Morris is kind of an an ultimate tipping point for this team. If you remember, he was the 51st selection in the 2017 draft, and there were 50 players selected before him. I'm sure that not a lot of folks really expected what Monte Morris has become. He's been a very solid backup point guard for the Nuggets, one of the best in the NBA in his two seasons in the rotation. He's actually... This will be his, his, he's in three seasons, he's now going into his fourth next year. Um, But it's been really interesting watching his growth and and basically saving Denver's entire draft night on 2017 because Denver was involved in a lot of different things for the 2017 draft. They had a lot of big plans, a lot of those plans fell through, and they, they got caught with the 13th overall pick. And not really knowing exactly what they wanted to do with it. The, the war room was divided. There were a lot of questionable uh, takes that were thrown out there. And in the end, the Nuggets decided to trade down. And potentially they missed an opportunity in drafting Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell was the 13th overall selection. It was either going to be him or Bam Adebayo or OG Ananobi at 13. And the Nuggets decided not to go with any of them at that spot, and they instead decided to trade down to the 24th overall selection and pick up Trey Lyles along the way from the Utah Jazz. And obviously that didn't work out very well. Trey Lyles spent only two seasons in Denver. The Nuggets let him go uh, in restricted free agency without that much of a fuss. And it, it just never really clicked in Denver, never really worked out for Trey Lyles. Um, 
and the guy who went back, Donovan Mitchell, in the with the Utah Jazz deal, uh, he turned out to be a star. He turned out to be a really, really great player, and he just was named to his first All-Star appearance. He nearly won the Jazz their playoff series over the Nuggets, and I think that would have been a pretty big eye-opener for the Nuggets about how poorly they, they failed that day. Um, on top of it all, they drafted Tyler Lydon out of Syracuse with the 24th overall pick, and that was one of the most questionable decisions of any team. On top of the fact that they already had Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, they traded for Trey Lyles, Tyler Lydon was basically a pseudo version of those two players, and it was a very questionable decision at the time. Um, they were rightly flamed for it, and it clearly didn't work out because Tyler Lydon was out of the league uh, after a couple of years. But that wasn't the only thing that the Nuggets did on that day. They drafted two players, two that I think that are very important to the culture of the Nuggets right now. One of them is Vlako Chanchar, who's barely played any time, but has turned into one of Nikola Jokic's best friends on the team, has really motivated him and, and been a good influence on Nikola Jokic in getting into as great of shape as possible over this last year. But the other is more important. The 51st overall pick, Monte Morris. He came out of nowhere, as I said. Came out of nowhere on many people's draft radars. And it was very impressive to see what he's been able to turn into. Because he started as a two-way contract. Then he ultimately signed a new uh, minimum level deal for three years. And in the first year of that deal... uh, The Nuggets had let go of Devin Harris. He walked in free agency. He didn't really want to be back. Uh, They had a couple of other candidates in mind for the backup point guard spot, but Monte Morris earned that job out of training camp behind Jamal Murray. And when he did it, Monte Morris's contract immediately became one of the most valuable in the league because for a minimum level contract for the next three years, the Nuggets had acquired a solid backup point guard, and that's exactly what Monte Morris turned out to be. In his first season with the team, he immediately steadied the bench. Along with Malik Beasley and Mason Plumley. he was awesome. He was one of the best backup point guards in the NBA right off the bat. And it wasn't the flashy uh, scoring 50, or not, not 50, but like scoring 30 points, racking up 10 assists, dominating the basketball. No, Monte Morris just did exactly what he was asked to do. He was a solid defender, he was a great decision maker, a solid playmaker, a solid scorer, a solid shooter. That really just describes who Monte Morris is, is he's a solid player, a good player, just very consistently good across the board. And usually people are drawn to some of the flashier traits when evaluating the NBA draft, when trying to select picks. It's one of the reasons why freshmen go in the in the top of the draft and some of the seniors like Monte Morris are left to flounder at the bottom is because they haven't really showed an elite trait at the NBA level. Well, there's one thing that Monte Morris is elite at, and he was elite in college, and it's really translated to the NBA, and it's his assist-to-turnover ratio and his decision-making. And it's one of the under-discussed traits when figuring out exactly what you want to have in a backup point guard, 
especially behind a young starting point guard in Jamal Murray, who was up and down. He's really taken a step forward, of course, but if he hadn't, Monte Morris might be closing games because of how steady his hand is. There's been a kind of an undercurrent of people that believe that Jamal Murray should be moved to the two guard and Monte Morris should start at the one because of how steady he is, because of how consistent and solid of a facilitator he is and how traditional he is. It makes it easier for the rest of the players on the floor when Monte Morris is out there because he provides exactly what he's going to provide every single night. It's very consistent. It's very impressive. And that has really helped steady the Nuggets and turn them into from a good team to a great team. Because before, they didn't really have a bench. They didn't really have a unit that they could rely upon consistently. It was always the Nikola Jokic show. It was, it was Jamal Murray showing up. It was Gary Harris showing up before. Paul Millsap showing up before. But then, when Monte Morris really started breaking out, it helped steady the bench for Mason Plumley. It helped steady the bench for Malik Beasley. This year, it helped steady the bench for Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant. Those guys were able to flourish and really show that they could be part of Denver's future. Mostly because, uh, not mostly, but, but in part because of what Monte Morris provided consistently. And his growth from becoming just a, a good backup point guard to potentially one of the best in the NBA, that has really helped. That has really helped what the Nuggets are trying to become. He's not going to be a, a Derrick Rose or Dennis Schroeder type who can really change the complexion of a game because of his own individual talents and abilities and scoring potential and, and dropping high totals. But he's going to be consistent every single day. A metronome, and that's exactly what you need when trying to build from within. The Nuggets knew that they needed a guy that they could count upon every single day. And instead of getting a and signing a backup point guard, they knew that they could turn to Monte Morris, who was just in his second year in the league, who had played 25 total minutes in the NBA. And that really helped them out something special. The playoffs were a big stepping stone for Monte Morris. He was pretty bad in his first go-around. I was really interested in seeing how he would perform in his second playoffs. It was it was possible that he was just a little bit unsteady because of the because of the it being his first time in the playoffs, but guys like Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, they were good in their first go round. Morris wasn't. He was this time around. He was very efficient. He wasn't perfect from the from the perimeter, but he shot high a high percentage on free throws. He shot a high percentage from the field. He was good with his assist-to-turnover ratio again. He played on-ball, off-ball. His defense was better. It wasn't great, but it was better than it had been. The Nuggets knew that they could count on him. They even put him, put him into the starting lineup against the Utah Jazz because that's just what they needed at that point. They needed a steadying hand until they, they could go to guys like P.J. Dozier and Gary Harris and uh, Michael Porter Jr., down the line when they needed some more athleticism. But Monte Morris, without his contributions, without his ability to steady the ship, to be a metronome for this Nuggets team consistently, I don't think they would be where they are today. 
I think that's really important when discussing Monte Morris's role going forward because he's going to be up for an extension. He's going to be a guy who the Nuggets may need to let go if they have to pay other players. If they need to save money for Michael Porter Jr., if they're going to pay Jeremy Grant, if they already have Gary Harris and Will Barton on roster, if they trade for somebody else that they want to retain long-term, if they're already paying Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray big contracts, Monte Morris is a guy that may slip through the cracks. I don't know if he will. The Nuggets already traded Malik Beasley and Watcher Hernan Gomez, partially for this reason. They knew they weren't going to be able to pay those guys. The fact that Denver didn't trade Monte Morris, I think it says that they may try to retain him. However, P.J. Dozier is waiting in the wings, and he provides a different dynamic than what Monte Morris ever can. P.J. Dozier may be able to play next to Jamal Murray more consistently. We don't know that about Monte Morris. We don't know if Denver can consistently play a smaller backcourt. Uh, Monte Morris, for all of his abilities, for all of his Im- impressive traits as a facilitator and creator and spot-up shooter, he's a little bit small. And there are too many teams out there that will continue to hunt him on the defensive end in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm at least concerned that Denver may not be able to pay him double digits in, in, the double, in eight figures for his next salary, like what a good backup point guard is worth because of those problems, because of his potential issues in a playoff series. A lot of those other... A lot of those other backup point guards also have those issues. Guys like Patty Mills. Uh, Corey Joseph isn't quite that, but he's kind of like that. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, before this year, he was considered more of a starting point guard, but he turned into a better defender, and he had the athleticism to do so. He's not great, but he's good enough. Um, There are other problems with it, too. Uh, but, But more than that, is that the Nuggets are just going to have a lot of guys that they have to pay. I don't know if they're going to be able to pay for what Monte Morris does going forward. That's the big decision for this Nuggets franchise. If they don't think they can pay him going forward, then I don't know what his future is. He may just play out his contract and the Nuggets might try to find him a new home later. Or they may try to trade him this offseason and cash in while his value is high, send him to a team that has need for a point guard and could send the Nuggets some help either in the uh, defensive wing department or in defending Anthony Davis types. Uh, Those guys don't grow on trees, of course, but neither do guys like Monte Morris, who's very steady, provides a a nice engine behind what he's going to continue to do for for any team. It's not just going to be the Nuggets. He's a professional. He'll probably be in this league for about 15 years. It's going to have a long, prosperous career. And it's just cool that it was at the 51st overall pick. Uh, One of the stats that I brought in that article uh, on Denver Stiffs today was that in terms of ranks for win shares on the 2017 draft class, fifth in win shares is Donovan Mitchell at 13. Uh, he's, He's drafted 13th overall, excuse me. Sixth in win shares is OG Ananobi who's drafted 23, one spot before Denver. And seventh in win shares is Monte Morris, who's drafted 51st overall. 
Monte Morris really saved that draft. If he hadn't been picked, if it was some other guy that never really contributed to Denver's rotation, I don't know what we would be saying about the 2017 draft. It may be as as awesome as the 2014 draft was for Denver, where they got Nikola Jokic at 41. 2017 may be just as awful because of what they could have had, what they could have added. They didn't add a star, but they added one of the most consistent role players they could have asked for. When we come back, we're going to talk about trade value rankings. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. These next two segments are going to be shorter, uh, just because I, I don't think there's enough news that's really come out that really needs to be talked about. I consistently talk about a lot of the offseason questions. If you are interested in a more in-depth offseason preview, check out the last Denver Stiff show I did with TJ McBride. Part one of that is on this feed. Part two is on his feed on the Mile High Sports side, uh, the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast with Blue Wire. Um, We talked about everything under the sun for about two hours, so it was a good uh, duo of podcasts, and make sure to consume those at some point or another. This segment is, and the next segment as well, are going to be about trade value, because I think it's important for Nuggets fans that when they hear about these trade rumors in the offseason, when they hear about various players that are available, guys like Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday, uh, players of that nature, it's important to note that Denver doesn't really have as many assets as, as you think because they're not trading Michael Porter Jr. And once you take him off the board, Denver's assets start to look a little bit worse. There's not really a, another blue-chip prospect there. There's not really a super enticing thing that teams are really dying to draft or dying to have. Uh, Bull Bull's an interesting lottery ticket, and Monte Morris is really solid, and P.J. Dozier could be something. But beyond that, there's just not a lot that teams are really going to want. So I want to get into it. I've, I've ranked 20 things here, and this is very similar to the format that Zach Meath cut Zach Mikosh does around the trade deadline every single time, every single year on Denver Stiffs. It's going to be in the same format, but I've got a a little bit of a different variation for it based off of some different categories. So 20 different things, 17 players, three others. Number 20, and this is in the category of free agents that can't be traded. Tyler Cook, Tyler Cook, excuse me, God mispronounced Tyler. <laughs> That's bad. Uh, Tyler Cook it was a two-way contract guy for the Nuggets that just kind of signed on for the bubble 
Uh, the Nuggets had initially signed him last offseason, but when they got P.J. Dozier and he really proved himself in camp, uh, they decided, okay, we're going to let go of Tyler Cook, we're going to give P.J. Dozier that two-way contract, and then P.J. ultimately earned a full-time contract with the Nuggets. So there's not a lot to say about Tyler, and there's not a lot to say about any of the next five guys because they're all going to be free agents. So let's move along. Number 19, Noah Vonley. Uh, the Nuggets got him along with Troy Daniels and Keita Bates Diop in the uh, in the Wancho Hernan Gomez Malik Beasley trade. They also got a first round pick. Uh, n- note to everybody: the the Nuggets got that they no, the Nuggets did that deal because of the first round pick they got. It wasn't because of the players that they received. Um, Noah Vonley is a a young player who was drafted in 2014. Uh, he's still, I think, 25, which is younger than than Jeremy Grant, uh, which I think is is fascinating because if the Nuggets decide to bring him back, I, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him to come back as as like a fifth big or a sixth big or somebody who's on the end of your bench but may develop into something. Uh, I just don't think the Nuggets go that route. I think they try to shift up the roster a little bit. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Troy Daniels. Again, none of these guys can be traded because they are free agents, except for one, and I'll talk about them later. Uh, Troy Daniels is um, fine. He's a he's an older veteran who's known for his shooting that can't really do that much else, and uh, the Nuggets signed him on. Actually, and excuse me, they didn't trade for Troy Daniels. They signed Troy Daniels. That was uh, that was something that happened, and and it. Never really manifested into anything, but he was very supportive during the bubble and was a good teammate, and that's what you need in an environment like that. 17 is Mason Plumley. Uh, Mason's given a lot of great years to Denver. Um, he's a good player, but when you talk about the backup center position, when you talk about different things that the Nuggets need, different things that most NBA teams need, Mason Plumlee doesn't really fit a lot of that criteria. He's not a guy who switches onto the perimeter a lot. Uh, he's not a guy who really protects the rim. He can get above the rim and finish lob dunks and things like that. Rolls to the rim a little bit and can do some playmaking out of it, but it's not perfect. And because of his inability to hit free throws, he's never going to be put into a good position where he can operate in the clutch. And that's a tough thing. That's something that's going to bug him for the rest of his career and something he's got to figure out. Number 16 is Torrey Craig. And Torrey Craig is a restricted free agent, so the Nuggets may end up signing and trading if they decide that, or if he decides he wants to go somewhere and the Nuggets don't want to match. Uh, But he does hold some trade value because he is a restricted guy. Uh, I just don't think the Nuggets retain him. They could. It's very possible. Uh, they're going to need a defensive wing if they decide to let him go, if they decide to trade other guys. But I I don't know whether he wants to be kind of like toyed with with his role because he could have a more solid and, su- and substantial role on another team. Uh, I just don't think he's going to find that in Denver. Number 15 is Paul Millsap. And because he's at 35, he's, he's, he's at the top of this list because he's been the most competent for the longest. Uh, 
Buddy is 35. He's unrestricted. Uh, I'm not sure if the Nuggets are going to bring him back or not. They very well might. Maybe he has a role as a third big off the bench. Uh, but I don't think his day. I think his days as a starter are over. And that's okay because change and evolution is is important, especially in the NBA. You have to evolve with the talent that you have. I think the Nuggets' needs have changed since Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray have evolved into stars. Those guys need different players around them. They need spacing and athleticism and shooting and length. And Paul Millsap is more traditional. And that is good for some cases and not as good for others. For the length of the regular season and for most of the playoff opponents that they face, I don't think that Paul Millsap is going to be that valuable to them. New category here. Number 14 and 13 are the under contract salary filler guys. These are guys that uh, they're, they're here and they probably aren't going to play a role but they are under contract and can be traded and can be used to kind of balance out the books. They're also young enough that there might be something still to them, that there may, be, there may be some untapped potential there. They haven't really had that much of an opportunity to showcase it yet. Number 14 is Vlako Chanchar, and as I mentioned in the first segment, his value to the Nuggets is really as a bench guy who can really support Nikola Jokic and support the... Uh, support the team in any way that he can. Uh, for the Nuggets, that was helping Nikola Jokic get into a better mind frame. And maybe he's help, more helpful on the court next year. Maybe with the rotation opening up just a little bit more, he gets an opportunity at some points. But he only really played in one game. I thought it was notable that it was the Magnificent Seven game. And he was good in that one. He wasn't great. Uh, didn't really shoot it well, but... Set some hard screens when he's operating as a, as a center. Uh, he can roll to the rim and can do some stuff and, and is tough. And sometimes you just need somebody who's tough and physical and gritty. And those guys tend to be helpful on winning teams. I mean, we just saw Dwight Howard goon his way to a title. So it can be done. And maybe Vlatko's a guy who can develop into that role. Maybe he has some more skills that he hasn't shown quite yet. Maybe he just hasn't had the opportunity to do much of anything, and so we don't really know what he is. I, I tend to side sign with that a little bit more. Uh, 13 is Kade Bates-Diop. As I mentioned prior, he was in the Wancha Hernan Gomez-Malik Beasley trade. I tend to think that he could have a role next year if the Nuggets don't fill that backup wing, that backup forward spot with a free agent. If they don't re-sign Paul Millsap and if they don't re-sign Torrey Craig, I think it's very possible that Katie Bates-Diop slides into the rotation, plays as kind of a, a complementary forward next to either Jeremy Grant or Michael Porter Jr., and Denver plays in slightly different ways with him on the floor. Because if he plays next to Michael Porter Jr., maybe he's being more of a floor spacer for him, Maybe he's doing some of the little things as opposed to the scoring. Uh, if he's next to Jeremy Grant, Grant is more comfortable spotting up and cutting and uh, sometimes going off the dribble. But maybe Kade Bates-Diop can develop into a little bit of that too. Uh, he showed some things in Minnesota. I really like seeing some cutting from him on film. 
He's a high volume and high efficiency cutter. And guys like that pair well with Nikola Jokic. And we've seen Bull Bull make some of those plays too. So maybe there's an opportunity for those guys to share the floor and do some things. You never know. Uh, but either way, he's a six foot eight guy who's very long and not super athletic, but is is long and, and smart and has the physical tools to really match up with some of the bigger wings out there. Uh, if he could develop into somebody like a Jeremy Grant light, that'd be very helpful for the Nuggets, especially in injury situations. Two more categories before we take a break. Uh, this is the management and coaching category. Number 12 on the ranking list is Michael Malone, and number 11 is Tim Connolly. These are more for fun because... Denver, like, they're not going to trade their management, but if they did, I think that they would be at this level as opposed to, I don't think they would net multiple first-round picks or anything like that, but it's also hard to rank guys like this. You could just as easily say they're more valuable than a first-round pick, or they're more valuable than two first-round picks. I don't know. It's really hard to value at this point, but either way, those guys are very important to what Denver does. And it's it's always hard to gauge those things. Like, I remember when Doc Rivers was traded and they had to send a first-round pick for him, and that was considered a very light deal. Um, it, wasn't a big, it wasn't a big obligation for the Clippers to just kind of steal him away from the Celtics. Uh, it didn't really turn out great for them, though. And the last thing is the sign-and-trade category, and this has one player, number 10 on this list, is Jeremy Grant. I don't think that Grant is going to be on any team other than the Nuggets next year. I think he's very important to what the Nuggets want to do going forward. He's a complementary piece to what Michael Porter Jr. is best at. He fits well with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, at least in a theoretical sense for what they will look like with Michael Porter Jr. also out there. It hasn't been perfect in practice, their advanced analytics are pretty poor. However, I don't really care. I think he's just, I think he is the ideal piece for a championship contender that has star power at center and point guard like the Nuggets do. And they need a versatile, complementary wing. There are very few of those guys that can operate at a high level. I think that Grant is one of them think that there are very few guys at his size that could match up physically with a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis or a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George. He can switch on to Rudy Gobert. He can switch on to Donovan Mitchell. I think it's important to note that he wasn't optimally used in this Nuggets lineup because Gary Harris is a little bit smaller. Paul Millsap is a little bit slower. If you put him next to Drew Holiday and Michael Porter Jr. add some more athleticism and a length out there. I think he looks a lot better. I think everybody looks a lot better if you add more talent to the fold. Don't get me wrong. But Grant specifically is the guy that bridges all gaps. He's the guy that uh, fits really well from a complementary perspective for everybody on the floor. He just does a little bit of everything and does it reasonably well. And I think guys like that are important. Other teams will think that as well. That's why he is in the sign-and-trade category as opposed to with the free agents that can't be traded category. A, a team will sign-and-trade for Jeremy Grant if need be. 
if they don't have the cap space, if they think that the Nuggets will accept a certain deal to part with Jeremy Grant or to allow Jeremy Grant to go where he needs to go, then that might happen. I don't think I think this is more theoretical, of course, but it is possible, and we've seen sign and trade. It's happened before. Uh, other guys aren't considered as valuable. Uh, Jeremy Grant is kind of the bell of the ball in this free agency period, so I do think that a team would pay for his services. When we come back, we're going to get into the third segment. We're getting into the the more substantial pieces and why I think the Nuggets aren't as geared for a star trade as many seem to think they are. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers, final segment here. I always say that I want to keep this short, but it never ends up short because I just love to talk, as you guys know. Um, It is what it is. Uh, Trade value rankings continued here. Uh, There are nine pieces of, or there are nine pieces of trade bait that are in this category. Three of them are definitely not trade bait at this point, and you can make an argument that none of the others are as well. The Nuggets are a team that doesn't really do a lot of trades unless they see a a major value piece there. They don't give up a lot of assets. They don't give up a lot of players. They might give up picks, but they don't give up a lot of players willingly. Um, But let's get into that, and let's get into who they could potentially give up. Um, There are eight players left and one draft asset. The next category is Young Prospects with Promise, and there are three players here. Number nine is P.J. Dozier, and it's pretty impressive that P.J. Dozier has risen from this point, or from from where he was to this point, because I don't think he's necessarily better or a much higher asset than, or much more valuable asset than a guy like Cater Bates, Diop, or Vlatko Chanchar. But he's proven himself in the playoffs. He's proven himself in a playoff rotation that he could contribute to that. I think teams would look at him as a guy, man, he's 23 years old, 6'6", 6'7", athletic, versatile, showed some shooting ability, showed some playmaking ability, defensive. Like I think he, he has a lot of tools in the toolbox. And when you look at guys like that, young teams want guys like that, young rebuilding teams, because he could potentially be a guy who's undervalued, who is underappreciated. And that's the reason why he's here as opposed to in a different category, because he's not quite at the level of the other two pieces, but he has shown some ability for sure. I really like him. I'm obviously biased towards him. I think that he could potentially step into that fourth guard role as soon as next year. He's probably better suited for the fifth guard role and isn't going to really play that often, except when there's an injury or except in certain circumstances. But I think he's good. I think he's talented. He has a lot more to prove and a lot more to grow. The Nuggets seem to think that way as well. It's why they gave him a full-time deal. Number eight is a controversial one. It's Bull Bull. And the reason why he's not higher, the reason why he's not lower I think this is the right spot for Bull Bull. I almost gave him his own category because he's very... People don't really know what to make of him yet. People see a lot of value in him. 
excuse me, they see a lot of potential and they see a lot of risk. And there's a reason why he dropped in the draft. There's a lot of medical questions with him. His feet at seven foot two are probably the biggest question mark about him. But what you can't question are his basketball instincts and his basketball talent. Because the dude can flat out shoot from anywhere, as he showed in the bubble. And he can block shots from almost anywhere, too. He was blocking shots under the rim. He was blocking shots at the three-point line. He's really covering a, a lot of ground. He made some highlight-level passes. He rebounded the ball reasonably well for his frame. The guy was good. He was flat-out good as a rookie who barely, who hadn't even really played. He was just playing out of position for most of the time. I happen to think that he's not a three, he's not a four. I think he's going to end up being his best when he's a five, when he's a center. That's a controversial take, I know. But the biggest potential for his advantage when he's out on the floor is stretching out the opposing team's center and then beating them off the dribble or shooting over the top of them. And then when he's playing center defensively, he's in a, a zone or he's uh, trying to battle against a guy who maybe isn't as physical as most of the best bigs in the NBA. Like playing him at center against Joel Embiid is a death sentence. Against Nikola Jokic would be really, really bad. But against, I don't know, Tristan Thompson, is it a death sentence? Is it that bad to play him at center against... Uh, Ivisa Zubac, maybe, but I'd like to find that out for myself because, like, if you, if you have him pick and pop against Ivisa Zubac, we saw what Nikola Jokic was able to do against a guy like that. What if Bull Bull hits five threes in a game? He's capable of doing it. He has the talent. He has the ability. And guys like that don't grow on trees, which is why he's in this category and not a category lower. Uh, but his risk is still high, and people know that, and he's still on a two-way deal, and you, n you don't really know how to deal with two-way contracts that really show in immense promise like this. This is a new scenario for the league that they don't know how to deal with yet. Number seven is the guy that I've been talking about for a while, Monte Morris. He's on the last year of his contract, and that's primarily the reason why he's in this category as opposed to a different one. Um... He will be paid going forward. Some team is going to pay him. Some team's probably going to pay him about three years, 30 million, four years, 40 million, something along those lines. I don't know if it's the Nuggets. They may not have the money to afford him. They'd be wise to get something for him if they don't think that he's going to come back, if they don't think they can re sign him and aren't going to offer him a big deal. Monte Morris also wants to prove that he's a starter. He's viewed around the league, according to Brian Windhorst on the Hoop Collective, as a guy who could be a potential starter going forward. Would he start on the Orlando Magic? Probably. I don't think that Markel Fultz is that good. And a guy like Monte Morris would fit really well there as a replacement for DJ Augustine. There are other teams where he would fit well too. A place like Chicago, with old friend Arturis Karnasovas. He would fit well in that situation next to Zach Levine. Um, Cleveland, like they're starting Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. They could probably use an actual point guard there. Um, there are other places around the league that could definitely use a guy like Monte Morris. 
And the only reason that he's not higher, once again, is because he's an expiring contract. And the team that trades for him is going to need to pay him. Next category, number six and number five, are the distressed starter assets. And you can make an argument that these guys are lower than the young prospects that are right before. But these guys have already proven that they can be a starter on a playoff championship caliber team. Uh, Number six is Gary Harris. His value has really taken a hit, obviously. And when you you hear people talk about him, they talk about him being a negative asset. They talk about him not necessarily contributing to winning basketball uh, with his contract. And I, I don't know if I can really argue with it heavily, except for the fact that when he came back against the Utah Jazz, the Nuggets really, they, they had a lift in Game 6 and Game 7 defensively because of him being out there. It was almost entirely him. He wasn't great defending guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but he also wasn't terrible. And when you're only 6'3", 6'4", guarding guys like that, and they don't go off the entire time, That's pretty impressive, too. He was very good defensively in that series. The problem is always going to be offensive. The problem is always going to be whether he can continue to consistently hit shots from the perimeter and whether when he's run off the line, if he can finish at the rim. He couldn't do that in the Western Conference Finals. It was a really bad sight. It was actually pretty distressing if you're a Nuggets fan. Um, But it was one series, and he has the potential. We've all seen it. We've all seen him hit shots. He hits shots in practice all the time. Uh, he's one of the best shot makers the Nuggets have. And I genuinely believe that if he gets into a rhythm, if he can find himself in a position where he's more comfortable, where he's more included, where he feels like he's in a good position to shoot consistently, then maybe he gets back to a good point where he's shooting 40%. I don't know, though. He may not get back to that. He may just be a really good defensive guard. And that may all that may be the only thing that he has going for him. Uh, guys like Patrick Beverly, uh, he's, he's really hit his stride as a three-point shooter and a creator for others. Uh, Gary Harris hasn't really done that lately. So something to worry about going forward. Uh, number five, Will Barton. He is the other distressed starter asset. Uh, didn't play a minute in the bubble. And I think that's a big deal when evaluating a guy like that. Teams don't really know what they're getting from Will Barton going forward because they don't know how his knee is going to hold up. And he's a guy who had never had injury issues before this. He was always very good. And he was incredibly good in this past regular season. I've talked about him. I talked about him last week on this podcast. And I just don't know if he comes back with the Nuggets. I don't know if they, they... They want him back, of course. They they like having him around. He's a versatile piece, a jack-of-all-trades. Uh, good for the culture of this team, of course. Uh, just like Gary Harris is, by the way. Don't get that misconstrued. Uh, those guys are both really important to what the Nuggets are. That's why they rank this highly, frankly. Um, but you got to give something to get something. And those guys, as the main contracts on this team outside of Murray and Jokic, uh, they would be the first to go in a deal for a big name. And it's too bad to say. Uh, people may not be happy about that, but it is what it is. And that's 
That's just how the Nuggets are going to be operating at this point. If they if they see a value that's can't miss, if they believe that that will help them win a championship, this is the cutoff for where they're probably going to be willing to give up that piece in order to do it. Everybody below this, and maybe even this next thing, uh, will they'll be willing to give that up if it means winning a championship. The next category is draft capital. And number four, it's the 2020 first round pick, which is the 22nd overall pick. And people may be wondering, Ryan, why did you include this so high? People say that this draft class is awful. And it's true. This draft class is not good. But it could be a 2020 first round pick. It could be a 2021 first round pick. It could be multiple first round picks that the Nuggets decide to give up. If they ever decide to give up a deal, Uh, that includes first-round picks, I think they'll be willing to throw them out there because they've got a lot of young talent, like we've seen. Uh, They already have their franchise cornerstones. They already have their untouchable prospect. But they may not need those extra first-round picks in order to make it happen. Uh, They've found an ability to get guys in the second round and and off of uh, waivers and in the free agent pool. Monte Morris, Bull Bull, P.J. Dozier... Um, Keita Bates-Diop, Vlako Chanchar, Torrey Craig, all of those guys, second-round picks or undrafted. All of them. So there is an ability for the Nuggets to get players without having to give up too much, without having to use a first-round pick in order to get them in the draft. So they feel that they can add pieces in unique ways, and I believe them. I think Tim Connolly's a great talent evaluator. It doesn't have to be just in the draft, and it doesn't have to be just at the top. He's done it throughout the second round, and he's done it through the undrafted market. So it's important to note that they could throw out these picks in a trade and be pretty loose with them, if you know what I mean. Next category, and it's not the top category, but this category is the untouchable prospect. This is Michael Porter Jr., number three. Everything that the Nuggets have put out there says that they're not going to trade Michael Porter Jr. I believe them with that. I think that Michael Porter Jr. could be the key to the Nuggets winning a championship. I think the formula of him, Grant, Jokic, and Murray is a great formula to have against almost every single team. But it's possible that they don't think that in the next couple of months. It's possible that that feeling could change if a certain guy becomes available that they really fall in love with. It's possible that if if they can't move the needle by including other pieces, then they decide to give up Michael Porter Jr. in order to make a deal happen. If Giannis Antetokounmpo showed up on the trade market, said that he would consider re-signing with the Nuggets in free agency, Maybe you give up Michael Porter Jr. for a guy like that. You get Jokic, Murray, and Giannis on one team. That would be pretty cool. That would give you a really high bar for potential expectations. Think about how much trouble the Nuggets had dealing with Anthony Davis. Is there a better player in the league more capable of dealing with Anthony Davis defensively than Giannis? I don't know if there is, and if there is, then good luck to that player. Like um, Giannis is just the the dynamic defensive player of the year, 
who switches on to everybody, who erases mistakes of oppose of his teammates, and is also a dominant offensive force. And maybe he's a guy that the Nuggets decide to give a Michael Porter Jr. for. I'm not reporting that. It's just a prognostication that if that became available, then maybe that's something that they decided to do. I don't think they give up Michael Porter Jr. for Bradley Beal. I don't think they give up Michael Porter Jr. for Drew Holiday or Victor Oladipo or name your current guy on the market that's a distressed asset right here. Um, the only guy that I think they give up Porter for that could become available is Giannis. That's my thinking. And then the final category here is the franchise cornerstones. You have number two, Jamal Murray. Number one, Nikola Jokic. Those guys, I I don't think it really matters about the order, but Jokic was the guy who got the Nuggets to this place. It really is still his team, despite the fact that Murray has joined him in the franchise cornerstone pecking order. Um, It is a compliment to Murray to say that he has joined Nikola Jokic in this category because this is like, top 10 player range. This is top 10 asset range for the next 12 years type. Is there a better young duo in the NBA than Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray? I doubt it. I don't think there is. And I think teams would have questioned that prospect. They would have thought the Nuggets fans were crazy when they said that Murray and Jokic could be the next great duo. When I said last offseason that they were betting on Murray and Jokic to be this era's version of Kobe and Shaq, I wasn't kidding. The Nuggets needed Jokic to be that dominant as a big man in order to make this work. And they needed Murray to have that killer instinct and that ability to be a flamethrower scorer, but also develop into doing everything else. And he has done that. And... I cannot imagine a scenario where the Nuggets trade either of those guys now. Not for Bradley Beal, not for Carl Anthony Towns, not for Ben Simmons, not for anybody that comes on the market. Like if Giannis, if 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 the Bucks went to Denver and said, hey, we are only trading Giannis to you guys if you give up Jamal Murray, I think the Nuggets say no. And that is a crazy thing to say. But it's also true. The Nuggets have done a really good job of building around those two pieces. They have a couple of other pieces in Porter and Grant who they think can really help get the best out of Murray and Jokic going forward. And I think it's a great place to stop. I think it's a great place to really evaluate where the Nuggets are. And I just want to say a couple things in conclusion here. There's not a ton of true trade value on the Nuggets unless they are willing to give up Porter. When you talk about the assets that they'd be willing to give up, They'd be giving up P.J. Dozier, Bull Bull, Monte Morris, Gary Harris, Will Barton, first-round picks. There's not a lot else. There's like There really is nothing else that Denver could give up in a deal unless they were willing to give up Porter. So guys like Bradley Beal are definitely out of the question. Guys like Drew Holiday might be out of the question. Uh, the Hoop Collective reported, and Tim Bontep's not, not reported. I, I don't want to be aggregated. Uh, he said that Brooklyn would make sense as a Drew Holiday destination and that the package that they would have to give up in that case would be Karis LeVert and a couple of other pieces. If I were the New Orleans Pelicans, 
I would much rather have Levert over a package in Denver that centers around Bull Bull. Despite the fact that Bull Bull and Zion Williamson would be a really good fit, the floor of a Karis Levert, um, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson trio is a lot higher. And I think that's I think that's at least interesting going forward, and, and it would be a fascinating discussion with Pelicans people about whether they would want Levert or Bull Bull more. Uh, but I think that it's probably Levert. And because of that, unless the Nuggets were willing to give up Porter, I don't think they win the Drew Holiday sweepstakes if the Pelicans decide they want to give him up. But this is why free agency is really important for the Nuggets. Because they may not get what they need in the trade market. They may not be able to squeeze enough of the talent out of what they have in order to find the ideal role players around Murray, Jokic, Porter, Grant. They may have to go to the free agency market, which is something they have not done in a long time. So I'm at least curious to see how they handle it. I'm curious to see who they target. We'll cover it all at denverstiffs.com. I think it's going to be a really fun offseason, and I, I keep saying that, but it's true. Once it comes around, once things start happening, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. There's going to be a lot of content, and we'll cover it all here. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking with me for as long as this episode ran. I said it was going to be short. I lied. Uh, thank you again for tuning in to this episode. We'll be live again on Friday with a new episode of the Denver Stiff Show. Thank you guys again. Check out DenverStiffs.com and we'll talk to you guys very soon.